This is episode number four of the My Niche is Human podcast. Hello, guys and gals. Welcome back to another interview on the My Niche is Human podcast. Today, we're going to be speaking to my friend, Jessica Brightman. She is the founder and CEO of Bright Thoughts, a marketing and design agency. If you're interested in this episode, here's why you should stick around. She tells her story about breaking the chains from corporate America, learning how to fly, and she'll tell you the story how finding out she had a brain tumor wasn't the worst thing to ever happen to her. So stick around, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show. We have here Jessica Brightman coming all the way from... Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington. Wonderful. Finally made it out there after many years of living in St. Pete, Florida. So I see online that you're on a new endeavor, new adventure, new journey. Tell me a little more about that. So the whole reason why I've kind of done all the crazy shenanigans that I've done lately is I keep going back to this word freedom and there's different definitions with it. And to me, freedom is not having to be in one specific location doing the same thing day after day. And so I quit my full-time job. I was working for a university for years and years, almost a decade. It was great. Could have been there for life, had all the benefits and all that great stuff, but it was just the same thing again and again. And it was a life of- Was it too safe, too predictable? Too safe, too stable, too just mediocre. And so I quit that. I risked everything, packed up my house, sold all my stuff and I was like, I'm going to just freelance. I'm going to work for myself, have my own business. And I was doing marketing and graphic design, just kind of like a jack of all trades thing. And then throughout this kind of vagabonding journey that I've been doing for the past year, I realized that it's not marketing specifically that I love. It's helping other businesses kind of find their identity and, and dress them up a little bit. And so I've been shifting my business now into more of that focus behind the scenes. And probably in the next like month or so, I'll do a, a new launch of my, of my business. So we'll see. So is that your new Instagram handle that I saw? Bright Thoughts? So Bright Thoughts Design. Yeah. So okay. it's focused more on design aspect. Yeah. Nice. So feeling a shift in your business, was there a life shift that correlated with the shift in your business? Did one kind of lead to another? What kind of caused that? It was kind of just all the domino pieces falling into one. So with the shift of my business, it's really come from my shift in lifestyle and just like a mentality of how you approach things, how you live, what's important to you, and really like kind of what sets your soul on fire and what can heal you, basically self-healing. So fun fact, because I have all these crazy fun facts and stories. A few years ago, back in 2016, I was hit by a drunk driver, which yes, it's shitty, but there could have been worse situations, like I'm still alive. That's a good thing. Mm. But with that, with all the, the testing and the MRIs and I had all kinds of like herniated discs in my neck and back and all this, but there's also issues with my brain. And so with an MRI, they found a meningioma, which is basically a fancy name for a benign brain tumor, which is weird because all my life I grew up watching that show house. And I always told my parents, like, I think I have a brain tumor. Guys, I think I have a brain tumor. And they never believed me, of course, because mm. I'm like some 12-year-old just walking around thinking, I think I have a brain tumor. But so it turned out I actually had one. Talk about like manifesting your your beliefs and your thoughts and stuff. I was going to say, did you give yourself one? You know, it's crazy to think about. <laughs> so I might have given myself one. But I actually healed myself. And so 
That was back in 16. I've had multiple MRIs. There's been multiple tests done. It constantly showed up on the images that my doctors would do. It was never to a point where they wanted to do surgery or anything like that. It was just, we're going to monitor it, make sure it doesn't change in size, doesn't grow, or it doesn't push too much on your other parts of your brain. And so I was like, okay, I can handle this. Some of the side effects though, the biggest problem for me was vertigo and balance um, because it was in my inner auditory canal back here. So I messed with that a little bit, but I was like, "Ah, I can deal with that. Like whatever. So for years I had this. And then within the last year, and now I've quit my job. I've kind of lived the life that I've wanted to live, you know, which is give us a little more on that, which is me running. I went to China for a few weeks. I did that road trip for four and a half months where I basically would just like spend my days hiking mountains and, and just doing whatever I wanted to do in the daytime. And then I would use the night to work for my freelancing business. And I was just having the time of my life. Like there was no stress. There was no pressure of, you need to be in the office at 9 a.m. every day. There was just, this is how I want to live my life. Like this is, this is what I want. And so with all of that, I think I've healed myself because when I got to Seattle, I had to do another follow-up with my doctors, you know, just to monitor this tumor and things like that. And I've been stumping doctors. Like literally it's gone from my scans. So the brain tumor is gone. They've done, I've gone to like a neurologist, an audiologist. They've done all these tests to see if, because I still have a little bit of vertigo. So like, oh, well, we'll test your inner ear, see if it's now that's a problem. That's not a problem. They've done like studies for my central nervous system of my brain, tested my eyes because apparently your eye muscles are connected to your balance and your ears and your brain. It's like, that's how one talks. It's insane. Basically, I just keep stumping everybody and they don't know how this has happened because there's been no treatment. There's been no like new medications, no change in like diet significantly. The only answer I can think of is I just need to go back to the mountains. Like running around the mountains literally is self-healed me. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. So if you just put yourself in a mindset and a frame of life of how you want to live and what brings you most joy it really does wonders for just mind, body, and soul. It's, it's been amazing. Wow. That's incredible. So for anyone that's <laughs> listening, like they're hearing you say, yeah, that's great. You went up in the mountains. Woo. Like, but yeah. what did you do? Like maybe on a daily basis from a mindfulness perspective, did you journal? Did you do self-talk? Like what, what did you kind of go through on a daily basis? There was some journaling and honestly, it was just a lot of gratitude and letting myself kind of feel being alive. And so I think a lot of people, they just hold in so many emotions, whether it's, you know, pure joy or pure sadness, and they don't really let themselves kind of ride those waves. They're just trying to like block it and stick with this normal pattern of what they think their life should be like. And like, there'd be so many times where I'd be up in the mountains and it was just so gorgeous. And I felt so grateful for being alive. It'd bring me to happy tears. And I'd feel like such a weirdo, like, oh my God, these strangers on the trail are like, was this girl okay? She's just crying on a mountain. (laughs) But honestly, like just feeling pure gratitude, it makes you grateful for so many different things in your life. And it makes you just prioritize what's important to you, what's not important. And it's just being very self-aware, very mindful, and just being in the present moment, like the here and now, and not constantly thinking, what's next, what's next? Because I think we get stuck in this like rat race trap of just, there's something better, there's something bigger, we got to go to what's next. Mm -hmm. And you just have to kind of take a moment to just calm down a little bit and, and appreciate now. When you say calming down, so create some contrast. So you've described 
the difference in circumstances. So you said freedom felt like you were tied to one place doing the same thing over and over and over. That's kind of your circumstances. But what were you feeling emotionally prior to being on the mountaintop and feeling all this gratitude? Was it anxiety? Was it depression? Was it stress? Or what, like, give me the contrast on the emotional end. Yes. So there was definitely a lot of stress and anxiety before. I remember leading up to when I quit my job, just driving from my house and driving to the campus where I worked, I would start the day in such a good mood. Like I wake up with music and have like this great breakfast and it'd be such in a good mood. And just being in my car and knowing that I had to drive in the office, it would just, I would feel like my whole body would tense up and it was just anxiety and hesitation and stress of knowing that I had to continue on with this life, this daily life that I didn't want to, um, which can affect you in so many different ways, mentally, physically. It can bring about like a depression where you're just like, this shit, I just don't want to do this. I have no desire to do anything else. And so I realized actually one of my tattoos is a wave basically. And it's a reminder that the lows of life depression will hit if you just ride the wave and be patient, even the largest of waves will crest and move on. And so that's why I just keep telling myself, like, just be patient. You have a plan. You're going to change all of this soon. Just ride it out. And it, yeah, it's, it's been worth it. It's definitely been worth it. <laughs> so was it kind of an all at once or do you think it was a gradual change? And I asked that because I feel like a lot of people are looking for the easy button. They're looking for the what's the one thing that will turn the lights on and all of a sudden everything will be okay. Did it feel like a gradual or was there kind of one moment? I wouldn't say there's necessarily an easy button. And that's the thing too. People see my life and they're like, oh yeah, you just have this like glamorous life where you travel wherever you want. It's so great. You can do what you want and blah, blah, blah. And no, like I've made a lot of sacrifices to do what I'm doing. And that's just behind the scenes people don't see. But my biggest motto in life is also excuses or choices. So if you really, really want something in life, you can either choose to act differently, whether it's baby steps that you have to take to get there, or if it's just like one giant leap of quitting your job and selling all your belongings, or you can come up with an excuse of, well, I just don't have any money or I have too many responsibilities or people will think I'm irresponsible or whatever the hell bullshit excuse you come up with. And you'll just keep holding yourself back because you personally are the biggest roadblock. Mm. It's been fun. Yeah. (laughs) So now that you're at this point that you've been working so hard to get to, if that's a fair assessment, what's the next leap? What's the next challenge? So that's kind of what I'm figuring out right now. I'm in what I call the recalculating mode. Like, you know how the GPS is if you miss your turn and it's like recalculating. So that's kind of where I'm at right now because I love Seattle. Like it's a really great city, but my intention was to only be here for three months. And then now it's been six months. And so I don't really, I'm kind of in that weird in between where it's like, okay, you start putting roots down and make this a long-term thing or it's time to move on. And so I think it's time for me to move on to a next city. I have no idea where that will be yet. And that's kind of the fun part. I don't have kids. I'm 30 years old, not married. I don't have a house. I like almost bought one in St. Pete this close to going through that process before I quit and moved. But I knew this was something that I wanted to do. And so I'm like, I might as well take advantage now while I have that freedom to just get up and go. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting hearing that your word choice, a lot of freedom, unknown. Tell me about this new flying endeavor. Yes. Okay. So (laughs) I get so excited talking about it. So ever since I was little, like to the point where I was seven years old, I first started studying about Amelia Earhart And I just, 
I had such a girl crush on her. I thought her, yeah, she was a pilot and she died because of that. But her fearlessness is what just kind of set me in like a, just set me in motion. Basically I was powered by that. And even at a young age, I thought that was so amazing and so cool. This woman was just leading the way and, and people were telling her no. And she was like, well, watch me. I'm going to try it anyways. So in the back of my head, I always knew that I wanted to become a pilot. Never as like a career. That's not what I wanted as a career, but just. Cause that'd be crazy, right? Yeah. It'd be crazy. But I basically just wanted to get my pilot license just to say I have my pilot license to know mm. that I could do that. And so I kept putting it off for years and years. And then finally, I'm like, why not start now? And so I took my first lesson actually two days ago. It's so fucking cool. (laughs) So it was supposed to be an intro flight because I don't start ground school until the end of this month. And you have to take all these classes, basically learn to become a pilot, a meteorologist, a mechanic, like you have to learn all of these things at once, everything. And then you take your written exam and then you really start with your training hours. But I was taking an intro flight just to get used to this school, make sure I wanted to commit with them. And we're up in the air and the guy is like, okay, I'm going to pass the controls over to you. And I'm like, oh no, no, you must've been told like the wrong information. I haven't taken lessons yet. I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, no, 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 just keep it level. I'll talk you through it. So I'm like, okay. (laughs) So it was such, so it was just this feeling of, how do I describe it? It's like, so you have a moment where you realize that you're literally just floating in space through the sky and it is your acts or mistakes that could literally or keep you alive. And so you sit right on this like knife's edge balancing between fear and just pure adrenaline and excitement. And it is such a rush that I'm, I'm hooked. I'm so excited. I love it. And it's empowering. It's, it's fearful. Like you have a moment where you're like, holy hell, I could literally like one small jerk of the controls and then like the planes going down, but mm-hmm. it's amazing. I love it. And so that's kind of how I live my life, basically. I don't believe in staying in a comfort zone. To me, comfort zone is being outside of a comfort zone. Like if I'm not constantly on the edge of trying to solve something or figure something out or or having a little bit of that fear kind of fueling me. Absolutely. So have you ever been skydiving? No. So that is on my list. I just haven't decided where I want to do it at. So I'm like, should I jump in like Hawaii or somewhere like Southern or the desert. I haven't decided the location, but it is on my list. Cause when you had talked about any little mistake you make could, you know, ruin everything. I was thinking mm-hmm. that cause I went solo and as I was flying in, I'm like, I have absolute control over just plummeting. Yeah. Or, I mean, so when you land, it's like, wow, I just saved my own life. I mean, I put myself in that position, but it's like a very empowering kind of feeling. It is. And there is nothing that makes you feel more alive than being like this close to dying. <laughs> Some people think it's crazy, but hey, why not? (laughs) Crazy is subjective. So not to really harp, but I feel I'm very curious about your brain tumor story. Looking at that, what has that taught you the most? Like, did you feel different before you found out? And then after, did the way you lived, your life changed? Did your mindset change? Is there any more to that? It's kind of funny. I actually laughed when they first told me that I have it just because of like I mentioned how for years when I was a kid watching all these doctor shows thinking that I had one and I was like, I told you guys. Right. (laughs) But in overall, my mindset, I don't think it really changed too much. I've had some crazy shit happen in my life. And so I've always 
known and appreciated the fact that the fact that I woke up today breathing, I'm grateful for that a lot. Like alone, I don't know that tomorrow is guaranteed. So when I was 15 years old, I actually lost my brother. And so seeing death firsthand like that and realizing that it's so close and unexpected, I would say that was the mindset shift that I had years ago. So when I found about the brain tumor, I was like, ah, it's just another bump in the road. Like we'll just keep going on as normal and we got to do if, if it comes a time where we do need surgery, then I'll get surgery. If not, we'll just keep monitoring it. And I wouldn't say that was a, a significant thing. I, I think my reaction to it caused more people surprised than, than even a surprise for myself. Just another thing. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that's JB. That's just she's doing her thing again. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, and it, it's weird too, because like I have it and it was such a significant thing, but a lot of people also didn't really realize that I had it or that I was dealing with that for so many years. And like the, the side effects from it, they just, again, people see what they see on social media and they make these assumptions of your life, not realizing all the struggles and sacrifices that somebody deals with behind the scenes, which is why lately I've been trying to really showcase both the good and the bad of life. I ride the struggle bus as well to the point where I might actually get on the wrong bus and end up at the bus depot. So mm-hmm. it happens. People have been bad. Speaking from experience? <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> nice. When we talked earlier, you had mentioned shifting from graphic design to more branding and helping people put on their best face or their best image. How did that process kind of take place? So it's something that I've always really appreciated throughout my work, especially when I was working at the university as well. And I was working directly with the vice president. And if I was, you know, putting a presentation together for him or creating some kind of publication, he said to me once, like, oh, but it's not your name on it. And I'm like, it's not my name specifically, but I'm working on behalf of you and this brand. So that is my name. And I take just as much responsibility and respect for that as if it was my name specifically. And so the way I think of branding basically is you, know, you wouldn't show up at a black tie wedding wearing a sports jersey. You know better than that. So I don't understand why a lot of businesses and organizations will create all of these different marketing materials or different touch points throughout their business that is the same kind of message as if you're wearing a sports jersey to a black tie wedding. Like it just doesn't align with who they are, what they stand for, you know, what their mission is, the type of level and credibility that they are. So I really enjoy finding out what that mission is, what their vision is, doing a bunch of strategy and research of, to the public eye and the psychology of different things, whether it's color use or, or layout design and things like that, and then creating materials for them that it, so it's all aligned. And so I realized that's what I love most about graphic design in general is I really love helping tell that story. And so that's kind of what I'm shifting into more now, because again, it goes along with my whole idea of you know freedom and what is it that I want to spend my time doing, you know, we all have to work. We all have to make money somehow. I might as well be spending my time how I love the most. And this is what I realized I love the most. That's kind of mm. my, my transition. Awesome. So why do it? What's your why? Are you familiar with Simon Sinek and that book, Start With Why? I have not read his book, but I am familiar with the concepts. And my why, again, goes back to freedom. But it's not just freedom for myself, it's freedom for other companies and organizations as well. I think me helping them tell their story can help them grow in their business and have more flexibility and more options that they might not have had elsewhere. I love you know, working with businesses and helping them solve problems that they didn't even realize they had because then it just opens up their future endeavors even more. 
So everything goes back to freedom, not in like an America sense, but just freedom of self, of identity, freedom of location, of boundaries, just in so many different ways of the word, just freedom, pure freedom. So for anyone that's listening, maybe they're where you were. Maybe they're feeling stuck be it in a relationship, in a job, in a state, you know, anywhere in between. Uh, what is something that they could do to at least stoke the journey, whether it's step one or step 50, to finding a way out or to maybe realizing that they have a choice when they don't realize that? Because feeling stuck is obviously in our head, right? So. It is all in your head. And I honestly think it really starts with a healthy dose of self-awareness. I think a lot of times we compare ourselves to others and we think that we want a life that somebody else has. But then if you really are presented and like faced with it, you're like, oh wait, that's not really what I want. So I think if you just have a moment of self-awareness, I was actually talking to a friend about this the other day. She was let go from a job and before she just started applying for other ones, I was like, I really recommend just take like a sabbatical, basically, even if it's like a week or two and just get lost in your mind and realize what's important to you. What do you want to do? What does the future look like to you? What's the greatest um, you know, situation that could happen? What would be the worst situation that could happen? And really just envision it all. And then once you have that, that's when you can start making the baby steps because you might not be as far away from it as you realize. You might just have to do a few like little tweaks to your life, or it could be like me where you just blow the entire thing up and and start fresh. But yeah, I would say that the first step is just self-awareness. It kind of sounds like AA where it's like the first step is acknowledging you have a problem. (laughs) It's kind of true though. But it's kind of true. It makes sense. It's a good sentiment. (laughs) And if I can add to that, I completely agree. If you can't take the week off or maybe you don't want to wait until you get fired or have to quit, on Sundays, I call it my airplane mode walks. I'll go to Whedon Island and walk for two hours in airplane mode and just completely shut off. And it's not, I'm going to go and think, I'm going to go, like I have no intentions. I smell the dirt, I touch the trees, I pick a blade of grass and just let your mind wander. And if you do that a little bit out of time, it'll either maintain your sanity before you have to quit or get <laughs> ridiculous, or maybe it'll, it'll start to stoke that, well, maybe I should quit. Yes. And then again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about just being mindful in the moment, because once you let yourself just kind of relax for a bit, then yeah, like ideas start coming to you that you never even considered before. And that's when you can realize, all right, so this is coming from like the depths of me. This must be important. How can I address this? You wouldn't realize that if you're just constantly in this rush of go, 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 we got to do the next thing. And yeah, I like that airport mode. I like that. Mm. Cool. Should I talk about phase three? Yes, of course. So what's next? <laughs> so what's next for me is honestly the unknown. I, that's what I'm trying to figure out. But what I'm currently in right now, basically, is what I call phase three. So I tell all my friends this, I'm like, you've got to find your phase three. What's phase one and phase two, just to kind of give us some perspective? So phase one is, I would consider your childhood, basically. And so it's, you know, when you're presented with a lot of kind of the the facets that make us human, you're exposed to the concept of relationships and trust and just everything that makes us human. Like that's when you're first exposed to it. So you don't really have a lot of control. It's just, that's how it is. And then phase two, I would say is, you know, you're a little bit older, you're like probably in high school and then, you know, you're soon you're graduating high school and you're, you're 18. So you're technically an adult, but you're really still a kid just trying to figure it all out. Some of us go to college, some of us start families, some go to the military. It's just really phase two is 
you're just like testing different boundaries. You're fucking up a lot. You're starting and stopping different relationships. You're trying to find your circle of people of who you, who you mesh with the most. Um, and it's also a time where you can really recognize all of those facets of like the, the trust and relationships and love and working hard and all that kind of stuff. And realize that either you want to continue that cycle that you learned in phase one, or you want to do something differently. And that it's a moment where you can't keep using the excuse of, oh, well, this is just how I was as a kid. So like, that's how it is. It's like, no, you're an adult now. You can choose to think differently. So then phase three is, I would say, probably like mid to late 20s. Sometimes for people it's later. Sometimes it could be in their 40s or 50s. Some people never choose this, but it's a mindset shift where you realize what you want the rest of your life to look like and how you want it to go. And it's a moment where it's like, okay, this is make or break. So you either need to blow your life up in order to get to where you want to go, or you just have to make like small small adjustments, or you have to just accept that this is it is because it's again, excuses or choices. So your phase three is like, for me, it was quitting my job. It was even before that ending an eight year relationship. It was choosing to move out of Florida because I knew that the long-term goal that I had for myself, it would never be reached if I was just stuck in phase two and like the cycle of phase two again and again. And so I see my friends or, or just even people I meet all the time that I notice that they're kind of stuck in phase two. And I'm like, all right, what's your phase three? You got to do something different now. Like you're ready for it. I can tell that you're ready for that change. Now it's time to act on it. And you got to go to your phase three. Awesome. So I want to dive in more, but real quick, if anyone's listening, if they want to, did any book stoke this for you? Like the, the concept of phase one, phase two, and phase three? Is there any kind of resource no, you wanted to? I kind of came up with it all in my own little noggin here. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. So in closing, you talk a lot about phase one and I'm really fascinated by that. I just finished four agreements a little while ago and a lot of what's given to us, a lot of our original agreements aren't necessarily up to us, be it through nature or nurture until actually the way you put it until phase two, we can start to unlearn these and figure these out. So if you could go back to yourself in phase one, call it eight to 14 years old, what is something that you would tell yourself? Hmm. So I hate to sound like such a downer, but when I was 13, basically for 9-11, I lost my uncle. He was on flight 11. And so at that moment, I became really just cynical of the world and everything. Like I didn't understand why this tragedy could occur, why someone so good could lose their life. And so I just became like this just angry, bitter punk of a kid, basically. So I would go back and tell myself to just kind of like, let that go. Basically, like I would carry so much of it on my shoulders and just like have this constant, like just built up energy. So I think I would tell myself to just let it go. Um, and it's something that I learned years later, actually, when I lost my brother is when I kind of did a, a 180 and realizing that, okay, life is short. Like this, I'm seeing this again and again, that like you can choose basically excuses or choices. You can choose to live one way or you can choose to live another so I think I would have, if I could have told myself that years earlier and kind of mm. like let go of some of that earlier, it would have saved me some time, but came around eventually. So <laughs> That's one of the many blessings your brother left you. Yes. He was like, hey, you can't do this every time someone passes. It's too big of a load to carry. You got you to change your ways. I know. And it, I always say everything happens for a reason. And people think that that's insane for me to say, especially because I've had so much tragedy. But I honestly believe that 
my brother was only supposed to be around for the years that he was and that everything that's happened because of it, it would have never happened. Like everything that I've learned, the person that I've grown into, the relationships and people that I've been able to meet, the things I've been able to do, I would have had a completely different life path because I would have been still stuck in that cynical, negative, just hostile mind frame. And so, yeah, I think everything happens for a reason. Obviously I miss him like no other, but everything happens for a reason. Mm, Wow. That's a perfect ending. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks for taking time to be on the show. It was good to have you. I loved it. It was great. When I invited Jessica to this show, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to talk about the brain tumor. And it's, it's all about that. That's her biggest life challenge. That's changed everything. It's driven her, you know, all these things. But it was really humbling on my part because I assumed so much. And then here she is telling us that the brain tumor was kind of the easiest thing to live with. It really stoked the way she lives and her greatest emotional trauma or challenge came from the loss of her brother. So incredibly insightful and brave of her to share that with us really kind of put me in my place and reminded me, you really don't know what's going on with people. So I hope this episode stoked the hell out of you. It certainly did for me. And I would challenge you on behalf of this episode to really look at your phase one, two, and three and be deliberate, make a plan and figure out what the hell you're going to do today, tomorrow, and the next year after. So I will see you guys real soon. Thank you for listening. Take care.